0: If they're as, Well, if they're not going out. Uh, but if you would, turn to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13. It's funny how you get stuck in ruts saying certain things. I just said we weren't going to have children's church, but then I was about to say, as they're going out, if you would turn your, in your books, because I'm used to saying that. Uh, Zechariah chapter 13 will be in verse 7 through 9. We're going to finish Zechariah 13 today. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Love is a topic that we often think about from the youngest age. We're falling in and out of love. We begin by pulling hair, by pinching and poking. We move to dating and first kisses, to marriage and children. Love is a topic of movies, of music, of literature. It's something we're all consumed with. And we have all heard the many great prophets tell us about love, that it's more than a feeling. That some have lost that love and feeling. We've been told about the power of love. How we long to know what love is. We've been told of endless love. And some even ask, well, what does love have to do with it? I'm sure you've heard these many and varied great prophets, these singer-songwriters of their generation... Love has become so glorified and personified in our culture that we have lost the sense of what true love actually is. Love has become a silly, in a sense, emotion. We've lost what true love is. And here in our text today, we see true love. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. How in the world do we see love in this passage? How can we learn what true love is even from this one verse? Note who is talking here. The Lord of hosts. The Lord God, the Lord of hosts, calls the sword to be brought forth. This sword that would strike the one standing next to him. Are you beginning to see what true love is? God, who takes the sword... And wounds the only one who stands next to him, his son. God, who willingly lays down his life for his people. In one sense, we could look at this and say, well, there's this battle going on in the Godhead. Why would God the Father, strike God the Son. And yet as we have been going through this prophecy, this oracle that Zechariah has given us, we have seen a progression. Chapter 11 talks about the people rejecting the true shepherd. But then in chapter 12, they mourn over the one whom they have pierced. Which led to chapter 13, the beginning where we saw a fountain literally filled with blood that is cleansing us And so now, the sword of justice is raised. On whom will the sword fall? Well, we know on whom the sword should fall. Who deserves that sword to be brought down on them? It should come down on the wicked and on the unjust. But instead, in the greatest expression of love that we could ever see the sword passes us and falls on him who is absolutely innocent and absolutely holy it is drawn against God's true shepherd and God is the one who calls it forth not only that he's eager he's longing for it to take place so as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the shepherd struck. We're going to see the sheep scattered. And we're going to see the remnant refined. The sheep, the shepherd struck, the sheep scattered, and the remnant refined. Well, I've already hinted at it, but I think it's worth asking, who is the shepherd here? The sword will be taken up against the shepherd. And in one sense, you could say, well, maybe it's Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet of the people. He's been bringing the word of God to the people. But we see here that that can't be true because the very next thing that is said is that the sword will come against the man who stands next to me. Zechariah does not stand next to God, only Jesus stands next to God. There's a sense in the standing next to that we see an equality. The one who is on equal footing with God. Zechariah, is not on equal footing with the eternal God. He does not stand next to him. So we have to look somewhere else for fulfillment. And if you heard this text, as we go on, it says this. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Have you heard this before? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. We've already been before Zechariah. We are in Matthew, Matthew 26, 31. Jesus says, what? This night you will be scattered because of me. You are going to be scattered because of me. And Jesus is quoting Zechariah here. It is used to predict by Jesus the scattering of the disciples after his arrest. But again, what are we to make of this? Is there a division in the Godhead? Is Jesus and the Father battling here? Well, no. The answer is no. Of course they're not. Everything that is going on here is happening to fulfill God's purposes. It is the will of God that Christ would be slain. It is the will of God that Christ would be slain. And Jesus came willingly that this would happen. God laid the sword upon Jesus and Jesus voluntarily accepted it. It was all part of God's plan. That Jesus would take on human flesh, that he would come in utter humiliation under the law, that as he lived his life, he would fulfill every part, every aspect of that law, that he would do this on behalf of his elect. And that through his being struck, he would bring righteousness upon them. The righteousness that Adam failed to maintain. Isaiah prophesied about, about this as well. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. It has been certain from eternity that the condition would be performed and the consequent rewards bestowed because there has always been an ineffable and perfect accord in the person of the Trinity. Jesus' death, in essence, is sure of achieving its promised end. God will certainly accept the sacrifice, the striking of Jesus for our reconciliation. And it's done in a way that is most costly to himself. So Jesus takes on flesh. As Hebrew 2 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people The writer of Hebrews is telling us Jesus became like us so that he could rescue us, so that he could be the high priest for us. I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to really dwell on what's happening here. There is no confusion in this text, and there is no confusion in the gospel. God the Father will raise the sword against God the Son. Now let me ask you for a moment. Would you willingly have the God of all creation raise his sword against you? Understand, this is not. I'm not asking you if you would be willing to be shot by a gun. I'm not asking you even if uh, if I borrowed one of Jeff's big swords if you'd let me cleave you in two. That's not what I'm asking you. Now that's silly, right? That's not what this is. This is something much greater. The God of all creation is going to strike Jesus in all his wrath in all his righteous judgment and the son willingly receives it why why would he do this Anselm Uh, The father of scholasticism says this. It could not have been done unless man paid what was owing to God for sin. But the debt was so great that while man alone owned it, only God could pay it. So that the same person must be both man and God. Thus it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person so that he who is his who is in his own nature ought to pay and could and could and could not be in a, a person who could excuse me in essence he's saying this man owed the debt and only man could satisfy that debt But man in himself could not satisfy thy debt. Only God could satisfy thy debt. And so only God could represent himself before the people. And this is how God loved us. As Paul says, while you were yet sinners, while you were yet enemies of God, he sent his son To be humiliated and die for you. Do you know this love? Do you know this love? It's the wonderful and the beautiful truth of the gospel, and it's something that we cognitively and we recognize on a daily basis. Yes, the gospel—it's it's wonderful and it's great and it's grand. But do you really focus on the depths of what's going on here? I believe it was yesterday. My daughter Ashton asked me a question. She said, "Do people go to hell forever?" And I said to her, Yes, they go to hell forever. And she said, So everyone lives forever, just some live in hell forever. And I said, Yes, that's right. And this is the reality of that question that each of us here, that's what we deserve eternity in hell, eternal separation from God. And there's nothing, there's nothing we could do to satisfy what we owed. And Jesus comes in and Jesus says, you cannot pay this debt, but I'm going to pay this debt. And, and we could go on once again and we could talk about the horrors of, Of the the crucifixion. And it is horrific. Literally. He was pierced with one of those swords. His nails were literally. Pierced with nails. But again this is nothing. When the God of all creation struck him. Is this God the object Of your love. I think it's easy for us to say, well, I don't really like studying theology. Theology is highbrowed, and it's, but this is the heart of our theology. This is the heart of what we believe about God. This is why we come here, and often through the week, we come and we, we say this Nicene Creed and we might say, well, it can get old, it can get repetitive, but this is a very good summation of what it is that you believe in. That Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of light, of light, very God of oh very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us, for us men, for what? For our salvation, came down from heaven. He was made man through the, through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was crucified. He suffered. He was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. This is what we believe. This is what we speak forth. Do you know this love? This is what God has been doing for us ever since Adam and Eve took the fruit. He said, I am preparing one who will come for you. And this sort of love demands response. We cannot respond to this love with indifference. How can we look upon Jesus... Who suffered the wrath of God, who was literally struck with a sword, and say, I don't have time for you. I don't have time in my busy schedule for you. I don't have time for your kingdom. I don't have time to come to you in prayer. His love demands a response from us. He goes on to say that when he comes, when he is struck, there are those who will be scattered. Verse 8, and the whole land declares the Lord two-thirds, excuse me, up in verse 7, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones and the whole land declares the Lord. Two thirds shall be cut off and perish and one third shall be left alive. Jesus uses this to immediately refer to his disciples. You will be scattered this night and we see them come back. But there's also a greater fulfillment A greater portion of Israel will indeed be struck down. AD 70. You've heard me talk about this before. The fall of Jerusalem. Rome comes in. Literally two-thirds of the population was killed. Two-thirds of Israel was killed. And the rest were scattered. To this day they are scattered. Yet God... preserves for himself a remnant one-third shall be left alive i find it interesting today that if you look around this world you won't find any other ancient people not really You, you don't go well i was i met this amorite man the other day i met this philistine the other day and we were talking now my dad will sometimes call me a philistine that's not quite what he means if I don't, if you use a gas grill or something, he'll call me a Philistine. We don't often say, look at those Hittites over there. No. But what do we do say? Oh, there's an Israelite. There's a Jewish person. God has even still preserved his people. And Paul teaches that eventually, uh, as Paul says, that there will be a great return of Israel. And, yes, this we're not going to get into this. We're going to look at Romans next, and we'll probably talk about it then, uh, Some say that this means that there's going to be a mass return at some point in history. Others say that this is the great number that are gradually coming to Jesus through history. But whatever it means, it's clear that Jesus is not done with his people. There's a remnant that he is preserving. And this is certainly true as we see and look here at Israel. But there's also a sense where this is true for us as well today. There are going to be times where you are confronted for your faith. And what will you do? You might lose a job. You might lose friends. You might lose family. You might lose your life. And often, this causes those who call themselves the people of God to be scattered. They worry about loss of friendships. They worry about loss of family. They're worried what it might cost them at work or even their own life. But he calls us to respond in faith. Even as we see Jesus struck and we claim his truth, we are not allowed to be sifted by this world We are called to see the love of God and respond in faith to speak and tell of his love. There's a scattering that I believe happens every day. And we each in our lives know those people who we say they were in the church and they were, we thought they were such good and faithful people. And then they turn their back on God. They're confronted for their faith, and they flee before him. But his remnant, his people, he is continuing to refine. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. God is still concerned with his people today. And he is willing to employ extreme measures to win our hearts. The example used here in the text is that of a metalsmith or whatever you will call it. One who works with metals. And what he does here is he takes gold And he puts it in the fire till it's red hot. And then when he pulls it out, there's dark spots. It's called dross. And the dross is knocked off. Well, excuse me, it's first plunged in cold water, and then the dross is knocked off. And this is how he refines you. Now, there was a time when I was in seminary, I, I was a member of a YMCA, and they had both a hot tub and a cold plunge, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but I really enjoy it. Some people don't. But you would get in a hot tub, like very hot water, and you'd sit there for a while, then you'd get in this like 40 degree water. One of the things that that does is release antioxidants in your blood, the shock. It's supposed to be healthy. It always made my muscles feel good. I I liked it. But you can imagine that temperature difference, that shock as you're hitting the cold water, it's not always altogether pleasant. This is put a pale reflection of being heated up to red hot. You ever seen on TV or maybe in person when they take hot metal and put it into cold water? It is a violent reaction, isn't it? Loud hisses and the water instantly boils. It's a violent reaction, and this is what it talks about here. It it doesn't say that Jesus is gonna come down, he's gonna hold your hand, he's gonna say, Oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You're gonna be oh, okay, okay, it's okay. No, he says he refines you as the metal worker refines gold. It is hard. At times, and the the metal worker will do this with the gold until the gold is so shiny, he can see himself in it. And isn't that a wonderful picture? Jesus is going to refine you until he can see himself in you. Until he gazes upon you and sees his own reflection. Reflection. God is love and his love is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of, sink, of seeking. I entitled this sermon, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. You may or may not. that's an old hymn. And this is just the first two verses. I want you to listen to these words. O sacred head, sore wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, Now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thy only crown. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn. How does that visage languish, which once was bright as morn. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor. Vouchsafe to me thy grace. This is the love of Jesus for you. The transgression is yours. And yet the pain is his. This is the love with which he pursues you. Working even through tears. Even through trials. Even through suffering. That he would call you home. We will never find. We will never find a greater love. We will never find a love more determined than His. As the Bible tells us, God is love. He is a great romantic. There's a book written, I think it was by C.S. Lewis, but I could be wrong. It's called The Great Romance he has romanced us, he has loved us he has called us his own you are being refined and it's not always easy but remember remember the one who refines you the metal worker does not hate the metal the metal worker loves the metal It's precious to him. And in the same way, we are precious to God. So precious that he would raise the sword against his own son, that he would strike the shepherd who would lead his people. And yes, it'll cause some to scatter, it may even cause many to scatter. But he is keeping a remnant for himself. Will you be scattered? Will you be scattered? Or will you be refined? We are to be holy, even as He is holy. And we are to dwell in the love of God. This passage is about love. It seems like it's about war. We only raise the sword when we go to war, right? But Jesus, our God, I should say, raised the sword out of love for you. Know that love. Rest in his love. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your son, and we're so thankful that he would willingly be struck for us. Would we not neglect, would we not forget, would we ever wholly rest and trust in him? We pray in his holy name. Amen.